There are days when we wake up with the most random ideas. Then we end up wondering if these thoughts also pop into other people's minds. Not everything makes sense, and I feel like some of my thoughts shouldn't even be said aloud. I'm a clinical psychologist and part-time psychology professor, and in this podcast, I'd talk about these random ideas and in between maybe discuss interventions to some of life's common questions. Because who knows, maybe you'd find connections between your mind, body, and behaviors. This is Psychopage, listening to that voice at the back of my head. Welcome back to that voice at the back of my head. Today is the 14th of February, aka Valentine's Day, aka Singlehood Awareness Day. I'm doing this episode not really to talk about the conventional sort of love and relationships. Rather, I'm going to talk about one of the more toxic sort of relationships I've had in the past, and it's not necessarily with a person, but rather with a substance. February 14th marks the anniversary of my freedom from a toxic relationship with cigarettes and all forms of nicotine. And this year, it's going to be the fifth year. And I'd like to talk about the whole process of starting to get out of that truly chemical toxic trap I was in. I remember learning how to smoke around 12 years of age, and that was with the help of my high school friends. There was this small store near the school where we used to buy cigarettes from, which in the Philippines is called the Sari Sari store. Uh, Sari Sari meaning a variety of things from candies, chips, beverages, food, and the oh-so-tempting cigarettes that cost just one peso, or which is about 50th of a US dollar. But prior to buying from that store, my family actually owned a Sari Sari store that did sell similar items, and I also remember snatching a stick or two just to try them. So uh, please don't tell my parents, but then again, I don't think that matters now given that we don't have a store anymore. But going back to the story, me and my high school friends used to go to that store and buy cigarettes and smoke them after class, sometimes even during class. I'm not going to go into detail how we did that, but this is probably a common story for most high school students, and I'm apologizing to the owners of that Sally Sally store for this disclosure for possibly wrecking their business, but to be fair, I think by now that store would have been a long time gone since it's almost more than 20 years since I said I saw the said store. So going back to the story, it felt both scary yet exciting to me as a pale young teenager with braces who was in, a, in the advanced class in high school. Yes, um, I was for sure one of the smart kids who just got picked on back then, but seeing all those students there and somehow joining seemed like something cool and at that point was a total yes for me. Because back then and maybe until now, who doesn't want to fit in or possibly stand out as one of the kids who wasn't afraid to do risky things? Not to mention that back then my high school was a Catholic school exclusively for boys, so naturally you'd expect kids were all good, right? Um, anyway, it seemed like a good idea to me at that time, plus all my friends were doing it, so why not? This appears to be one of the usual scenarios that some of my teenage clients tell me in therapy, and in some way it is quite relatable, even for those who might not have been smokers or who haven't tried to smoke in the past. But there's the familiarity of peer pressure and the need to belong. 
And whether it's smoking, drinking, or even some form of behavior that is habit-forming, these seem to be habits that, if started early on, would develop into behaviors in later years of life that would be a little bit more difficult to change or modify. In the grand scheme of addictions, I found cigarette smoking and drinking to be some of the gateway substances that some of my clients mention. Well, not all of my clients really have these higher forms of addiction, but some of my clients are teens in the juvenile justice system. And a common theme from sessions with them is the scenario of drinking, smoking, and other drugs possibly present at a social gathering, a party, or just a meeting with friends at a small bar that was um, accessible to them. That small event often led them to unfortunate events that, again, led them to being more involved or allegedly perpetrating crimes like theft, homicide, and even rape. And it's not that I'm associating cigarette smoking with these crimes, but its occurrence often happens with many habit-forming substances that does pose a higher, higher risk for getting hooked on more potent substances or even more incriminating behaviors. In delving even more into how habits like cigarette smoking are formed, there is often a greater percentage of people to adopt such behaviors when these substances are present in the environment. And what we learned from a lot of theories about learning is that modeling plays a role in the way impressionable minds inculcate substance use and other addictive behaviors. In my case, my dad was a smoker and when I was younger, I did have an aversion to smoking, but because cigarettes were present in our home until now, um, it was quite easy for me just to take a cigarette out of a pack lying around and finding a way to light it up and take some puffs, similar to what I see my dad doing. There are also films or TV shows or um, scenes online that show smoking and drinking as something that might be cool. So for an impressionable teenager, that could be a behavior that is easy to follow. The initial tryouts of cigarettes for me later creeped into my daily routine. So apart from being a huge part of partying and going out at night, it has become part of that after breakfast routine, the after lunch routine, and basically every meal or snack I had in a day, especially in college. And every time you take your coffee breaks, a cigarette is usually there beside it. I couldn't pinpoint exactly when the habit of smoking became part of my daily routine, but I remember walking to school while finishing a stick, then walking back home doing the same thing until it has become something that I need to have in order to consider my day complete. What also made it easier for me to incorporate it in my daily routine was the fact that most of my friends also smoked, and admittedly a lot of them learned the habit from me as well. We hung out at coffee shops and bars that allowed indoor smoking and when we couldn't do that, we headed out to one of our friends' homes and continued smoking and drinking the night away. I'd be lying if I said that I didn't have fun while doing it because I did and now I recognize that I could consider myself as a social smoker if there is such a thing because a lot of what smoking was for me was trying to belong with my friends and usually it is during those few minutes of finishing or sharing a cigarette that some bonds are formed or some jokes are said and the whole cycle of associating cigarette smoking with something as rewarding as a few minutes of endless laughter and sharing some stories is formed. 
Now, I'm not saying that my friends were really bad influences. In fact, a lot of them are really good people and I'm still friends with them right now. And it's not that they did influence the behavior that I was doing, which is cigarette smoking. But then again, looking at how the interactions had been for me, that was probably what had really done me in for cigarette smoking. Knowing how addiction starts, this reward system in our brain is actually activated every time we do something enjoyable and it is at work. And what neuroscience tells us is that when this reward system is often activated, it seeks out larger and more potent forms of the reward. So it can push you to going from a regular cigarette to a pack to later maybe trying marijuana. And when that doesn't spark any enjoyment so much, you could be looking for pleasure from even more addictive drugs. Or maybe it's not even a drug, it might be even a behavior like for example sex or anything risky that you might consider enjoyable. For some of the clients I have seen in the past, this is often the case and the difficulty for them was not knowing when to stop or not even recognizing the need to stop. Uh, at least for me, it stopped at marijuana and even one to two packs a day but I fear for a lot of people who have gone into deeper and even more serious addictions. Another possible explanation for getting hooked on cigarette smoking for me back then was me associating it with a lot of relief from stress. A lot of times when requirements piled up in school and even other sources of stress like arguments with my family, conflicts with other friends, and other anxious feelings were in front of me. It took just a few minutes of going out, lighting a cigarette or two, and the discomfort somehow goes away for me. This is a common scenario that some people that I talk to often describe to me during sessions. And for me back then, it also didn't help that I learned a lot of tricks that involved smoking like making a smoke bridge between your mouth and nose, being able to make rings of smoke like um, Absalom in Alice in Wonderland, and other party tricks that show you could show your friends and impress new acquaintances. But what research does say about nicotine is that it does create an immediate sense of relaxation, which is what I did feel when I smoked during stressful times. But the underlying causes of stress or anxiety didn't really go away, but at least you're relaxed, right? Well, that was what I was thinking back then. But seriously, looking back at those times when I depended on cigarettes just to lessen stress, I just said, wow, I really did not think that through. And what started in high school became this 12-year long-term relationship with someone that only hugs you, but doesn't really help you solve anything. And I don't know about you, but... It kind of gets a bit weird for me like those movies where you have the main character getting trapped in an alternate universe where everything is okay but not really okay like that movie where Percy Jackson gets trapped in Las Vegas, Odysseus and his crew being lured by sirens or water nymphs, and the premise of WandaVision having the characters trapped in a town that somehow relied on Wanda's desire to be with her better half despite Vision dying in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, particularly in Avengers Infinity War. But again, it's sort of having that comforting feeling of wrapping yourself with a warm blanket when you sleep, but there's a plot twist and your blanket is actually trying to smother you. It was sort of like that for me. At some point, you would get tired of the same scenario and the sources of stress don't necessarily go away. 
that thing that worries you doesn't slowly disappear and that stressful situation doesn't solve itself by smoking your lungs out. That was what I told myself every time I tried to quit in the past, but after each big stressful event came along, I often went back and made up with my love for cigarettes. And I think that one of the most frustrating things for people who are trying to quit some of their habits is that resolve that gets chipped away, especially when greater sources of stress suddenly appear and you're not ready to take them on head on. And from a lot of stories from both clients and what other people have also gone through in the past, it's often the rock bottom, the lowest point in terms of the formed habit that causes one to experience a possible turning point or to consider spiraling. I haven't really heard a lot of rock bottoms just from cigarette smoking and it's usually a combination of cigarette smoking and other more potent and addictive drugs. But for me, it wasn't really a rock bottom moment as well when I decided to finally stop smoking. But it took several months of chest pains and getting easily tired and winded just by walking for me and just to smoke my last stick and I just didn't want to look back anymore. In 2016, it was funny because I was training for marathons and long distance runs. So you could just imagine the pain and pressure in my lungs every time. I willed myself just to go jogging or running, but the pain is still there. It was definitely terrible, and I could say it. I was really a total mess. But I told myself just one more day until days turns into weeks, then months, and lo and behold, I'm five years nicotine-free. The process wasn't that simple, like I didn't have that mind power enough or that self-control to stop myself from smoking. And some nights I had dreams where I smoked a cigarette, then I wake up feeling guilty about the whole thing, then relieved knowing that it was just a dream. I never thought that I would experience any withdrawal symptoms from it because I never considered it as a very potent drug. But considering that this was a habit which was around 15 years of my life at that time, the amount of staying away from it was a great battle for me. And I relied a lot on mantras and telling myself, I did not come this far just to come far. Or, are you really going to waste all that effort just for this lousy cigarette stick? And eventually, I was free from it and it stuck with me. The whole process of stopping took around two years for me, where I stopped for three months, then returned for six months, then stopped again, until I felt like I was completely... Um, independent from cigarette smoking. I didn't have much help in doing it, but this was considering that I was quite used to doing a lot of things on my own, like cerebrally. Like, I could literally finish group works alone and I considered a task at some times that didn't require much help from other people. But along the way, I tried so many techniques like substituting cigarettes with lollipops, which just um, really gives you a lot of cavities. But I thought to myself, I have been getting more tooth problems just by smoking, not to mention the grayish tint on your skin, yellow teeth, pimples from cigarette debris sticking to your pores, and not to mention the loss of smell and the sense of taste also sometimes goes away. Sometimes the only positive thing that I got from smoking is getting this deep voice that sometimes you can't reach 
um, when you're not a smoker but it did have that effect on me like there was a deeper voice that I tend to have especially during moments that I wake up well that's fun and all but you'd probably have that deeper voice just by not smoking anyway so I don't know if it was a real effect for me but definitely a singing ability is not as good as someone who doesn't smoke anymore This podcast is not a substitute for any form of mental health intervention or counseling. Though some of it may be therapeutic for you, there are also some things that are quite opinionated and wouldn't sit well with you, and that's okay, because these points may be points of new debate or new conversation. But for those listening and do think that at some point you need counseling or just someone to talk to you about your experience, Know that there are mental health professionals willing and available to listen to you, and some of them are on different social media sites. That being said, please do be careful and find reputable and trained professionals, because getting the right kind of help is also as important. Also this movement from cigarettes to an e-cigarette at some point for me, So what you inhaled was vapor and seemingly nicotine-less cigarettes, but what was painful about it was that at that time it cost a lot, unlike today where we have vapes with different flavors and they are way cheaper than what I spent from um, e-cigarettes. Another difficulty for me was knowing when to stop because vapes and e-cigarettes didn't allow you to count how many sticks you've consumed for the day. And I remember going from two packs to one and a half and then to one pack and five to ten sticks per day and later less than five then none. At least there was a physical representation by uh, smoking real cigarettes but counting puffs was definitely something difficult for me to keep track. Recounting the steps I took with some friends who are trying to stop smoking, they haven't had much success for the longest time as well, which actually makes you ask, are people more prone to becoming more hooked than others? Well, there are interesting studies now that look into extroversion as a possible factor in engaging in using drugs in public, or people who are likely to engage in risky or adventurous acts become more willing to try substances, or people working jobs that require them to be awake for a longer period of time, like driving overnight or studying for a long period of time, are more likely to use drugs to help them out. But one of the most interesting results were in the Rat Park experiment that Dr. Bruce Alexander did in the 1970s. In trying to see how and why organisms might get hooked on drugs like opioids, Dr. Alexander compared how rats in a park with other rats and numerous activities and rats that were kept in isolation behaved. And those that were with other rats in the rat park were less likely to overdose, even with the drug in the maze, as compared to rats that were in isolation. There's actually a TED talk and a video about this rat park and you can find it on the web, so I'd suggest that you check it out later on. This finding actually emphasizes that what leads people into getting addicted or hooked would actually be the lack of positive resources such as socialization, recreation, and overall anything that would provide 
any worth for an individual. Thus, an important element in trying to break that habit and other addictive behaviors might be more of social intervention than just a reduction and willpower or self-control, which is reliant on the individual person. I remember being part of Katatagan Conta Droga para sa Comunidad. It's a community-based intervention program for drug prevention and recovery, and the main mode of intervention is through group therapy and processing, and it involves mindfulness-based interventions, cognitive behavioral techniques, and strategies that involve motivation. KKDK was started by Dr. Regina Hechenova, who formed a task force involving the Psychological Association of the Philippines to respond to the sudden rise of deaths in the country amidst the government's anti-drug campaign. The intervention is done in groups, so you'd imagine people coming together with the same goal, which is to manage addictions. However, this intervention is not for the more severe sort of addictions, but it's actually for mild addictions, so those who are starting out or trying out a drug but might be hooked or might be leading to getting hooked a little bit more. Uh, since a lot of severe addictions would entail more specialized and intense interventions, that's more psychotherapy, including a lot of biomedical interventions as well. That being said, knowing that there are people having the same experiences appears to help other people in seeing a common ground. And that struggle is something that people with diverse backgrounds also have. And knowing that sends a message to everyone that you are possibly not alone in this struggle. Though this is one of the more available ways to try to manage one's addictions, there are also some people who might want to handle their being hooked on different substances or behaviors. And what I find helpful for the clients I've seen so far, especially for cigarettes and alcohol, is trying to know what value someone places on such substances. If smoking were similar as the situation I described for myself, which is involving social interactions with friends, maybe possibly exploring other avenues where social interaction is bound to happen, like joining discussion groups, maybe in real time or online, maybe um, calling a friend and asking them out might be options for you. In my own journey to smoking cessation, I discovered that there are actually ways to socialize with people without joining them for smoking sessions. And now, even when I choose to hang out with them and they smoke, which is still a bad idea because of the secondhand smoke, it doesn't really give me the urge to smoke anymore. And the value of being there just to tell jokes and stories still remains. So knowing the possible values that we give to smoking behaviors and other addictive behaviors or other habits that we have would actually reveal a lot into what you need to do or what you might want to consider when trying to stop. On the other hand, if the value of smoking for you right now is stress relief, uh, it would probably be good to explore or learn about other ways to alleviate stress, like actual relaxation techniques, getting enough sleep and going the long route, which is often the road less taken, especially in a world that somehow promotes instant gratification. For me, it was actually running that helped me get away from smoking. I felt more tranquil at times when running or just brisk walking, especially when my lungs couldn't cut it. It's true what they say about um, endorphins and brain-derived neurotropic factors or BDNFs 
or hormones that actually replenish your neurons being released when you do a lot of physical exercises, especially cardiovascular ones. More recently, I found running to be a time for meditation and reflection for me, especially when I go running alone. And what I tell my clients is that it doesn't really have to be running per se, but merely an activity that is mostly positive and could slowly replace smoking, especially during times that stress levels are so high. In my work with clients, sometimes I teach deep breathing techniques or exercises that have also helped them to lessen stress, anxiety, and some other forms of spontaneous negative emotions. And the simplest process to do this is just mainly to stay still, sit down comfortably, and trying to slow one's breath by inhaling deeply and then later exhaling deeply. Now doing that a couple of rounds possibly may give that relaxing effect or that tranquil effect. There are also variations to the exercise like box breathing or inhaling for four counts, holding your breath for four counts, exhaling for four counts, and holding your breath for another four counts, and then you repeat the whole cycle. This is personally a favorite of mine to teach because the use of a box and doing the cycle for four rounds is an easier way to remember, especially during stressful moments. Not a lot of people might see this as a main intervention, but what research says about deep breathing is that the diaphragmatic breathing or deep breathing using your diaphragm actually helps a lot of hormones in the body work in order for you to come to that relaxed state, to that clearer state so that your mind can think about possible solutions or possible alternate behaviors to what's happening to you right now. So you might want to give it a go sometime. But going back to what values you associate with smoking and other habits that you want to modify, it is definitely more difficult to manage behaviors that are deeply ingrained in values like love and relationships, which would greatly involve a lot of sacrifice, moments of vulnerability, and going back and forth to wanting but not also wanting to change, which is what's happening right now to all of us who are in those habits that are not quite healthy. And this is where choice really matters or telling yourself that choosing to change is indeed your own decision and that you have relatively more control over what you want to happen. For me, it was really telling myself, I want to stop smoking. And somehow having people around me as well that support such a decision was also really good because they also notice when you don't smoke and that made me feel better about what little self-control I thought I had back then. I'm jumping off of last week's episode about creating that no excuses point where you identify factors that might lead you to both success and failure. Definitely having all the cigarettes available to you and maybe having identified triggers for wanting to smoke would be good things to slowly distance yourself from. Some people I know also find that smelling something burning or just the sight of smoke actually makes them want to smoke. So maybe staying away from barbecues and grills might actually help in some way because at least the proximity is not much of a problem. I found giving away or asking people to hold on to my lighters and other things I use to light cigarettes somehow helpful 
and maybe for a person trying to quit smoking, slowly getting rid of these things from your immediate environment can actually help. There are also people who look to smoking as a way to help them do their daily number twos or for the lack of simpler terms for defecation, smoking helps them poop. So maybe exploring and asking yourself, were the times in the past where I have been able to do this without smoking? And if there were, what was possibly present back then and could I somehow replicate the same situation so that I could poop or do what I wanted to do without lighting a cigarette? So at least in the process of knowing what was there, you could probably look for the elements and create the whole scenario where you can practice to do the thing that you want to do without lighting a cigarette. And it probably helps if there is someone who's willing to help you with that along the way. And we're not talking about someone holding your hand while you poop, but actually just someone who's there to support you or tell you or give you some information that you need in order to get what you really need. The most difficult thing to do in the whole process is to quit cold turkey or simply stopping altogether. And I wouldn't recommend it um, so much because, especially if you've been smoking for the longest time, um, because it often leads you back to the act when you're not ready to give it up. Also, there is some truth to weight gain and somewhat changes in your body when you stop smoking. Because smoking has that effect of controlling your appetite. So once it's gone, your appetite slowly comes back and your interest in eating also comes back. Also, remember that you've been taking something out of your system and sometimes you think that you have to fill it up with something and for me it was sometimes those quick snacks or sugary drinks just to handle some cravings but it's actually quite different from one person to the other but just like all other long-term processes and difficult ones such as trying to stop a long-term habit of yours there will always be moments of falling down but the important thing is getting back on track if that is something that you really want to do probably my last point and maybe i could come back to this in later episodes is creating a diagram for ourselves where we try to weigh disadvantages and advantages of doing the habit and seeing if the disadvantages outweighs the advantages. If you do see more bad than good for you, then that's probably a sign for some change you want to consider. Then the next step is seeing if stopping the habit also has its advantages and disadvantages. Then repeating the whole evaluation of risks versus rewards. If you do see more good than bad, then there's a greater signal for change for you then. So whether it's smoking or a habit you want gone or some change or maybe a relationship with a person or substance that you want to reconsider, I wish you a lot of control really and know that I am rooting for you and the change that you want to get done. And for this Valentine's Day, my wish for you is for you to start a long and lasting relationship with things that are quite positive in your life and things that would bring you to greater well-being and mental health thank you for listening to this episode of that voice at the back of my head i hope you enjoyed it and for more episodes please follow us on spotify anchor fm or from anywhere you get your podcast from this is psycho peach see you in the next episode